Hello everyone, J.B. Hickson with Not By Works Ministries. Thanks so much for joining us today as we continue our look at Spirit of the Antichrist, the gathering cloud of deception. And before I begin, I wanted to just make a couple of quick announcements reminding you, first of all, that this entire series is available in podcast form. Some of you may be listening to it even as I speak via the podcast, but for many of you who watch it on our YouTube channel, and by the way, we've had almost 6,000 people view uh, in total, all of the so far 16 sessions in this series. So I'm really excited about that. It's touching a nerve. It's providing some helpful information. And also for many people who may not otherwise hear the gospel or hear much about the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it, it gives them an opportunity to tune into some topics that they're interested in, current events and things that are really impactful in our current day, and yet at the same time uh, discuss them through the lens of the Word of God. And so I'm really happy about that. I hope you'll continue to spread the word, forward these videos or the podcasts on uh, to other people, encourage people to subscribe to the Not By Works YouTube channel as we will continue to post videos. Even after this series, we do three or four videos per week on a variety of topics. Uh, and I'm going to continue down the road of end times uh, studies uh, for this midweek study that we do typically posting on Wednesdays. But uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, uh, keep in mind that the video is available too, and so often I'll make reference to something on the screen or a particular visual. Obviously, if you're listening on podcast, you can't uh, see that. However, I think the content still comes across fairly well uh, in podcast form. Uh, and if you're watching it on our YouTube channel, I just wanted to remind you about the podcasts because for some people, they don't have time to sit still for 45 minutes or an hour or longer sometimes and watch a video. Uh, maybe they find it easier to listen uh, while they're jogging or while they're in their car or maybe listen in the background while they're doing chores or something like that. So it's available in both formats. Uh, please spread the word. Uh, share uh, these videos uh, with others uh, if you don't mind. We sure appreciate it. Well, we come to a topic today in this series that, honestly, I've been putting off. You know, when I sat down uh, many months ago uh, preparing what at first was going to be a one-hour-and-a-half session for a, a large conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but that conference, like uh, so many of the Not By Works conferences, was canceled due to uh, the control of virus scandemic, as I call it. And uh, so I basically turned that uh, series into a prolonged, more in-depth, detailed study of this topic, Spirit of the Antichrist. But when I first sat down uh, to begin studying this, I made a list of seven characteristics. Uh, I actually made a list of more, but I narrowed it down to seven characteristics of the future Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition who will rule the world during that final seven-year period prior to Christ's return to establish his kingdom. And then I set about seeing how many of those seven characteristics are prevalent today in our culture. Uh, and, of course, this is all based upon the premise, as the title of this series indicates, that the Bible says the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And we've talked a lot about that. So that was the whole premise. But when I made that list, this uh, notion of the spirit of perversion... Uh, made the list, and I have not been looking forward uh, to preparing and presenting this material because it's very troubling, very discouraging. And uh, so I put it off. You know, I didn't have a particular order. I knew I wanted to start with deception, the spirit of pretense, and we spent several w sessions on that if you've watched the whole series. Um, uh, but I kind of kept bumping the spirit of perversion 
uh, toward the end. And we finally come now where I only have two more topics left. And I thought, well, now's the time. And so uh, I cover this material with really with great angst and great discouragement because it just shows the utter depravity of man and how far we've drifted since God created man in his image some 6,000 years ago. So as we begin, I just wanted to kind of give that caveat that this is some pretty heavy material. And uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in the text, and then I'm going to get, as I usually do, into some uh, characteristics that we see prevalent today uh, that are uh, sort of validating the biblical uh, principle of the spirit of the Antichrist already at work uh, today. So we also looked in the past at 1 John chapter 2, as well as 1 John 4, where we're told many Antichrists have come. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that the mystery of lawlessness, which is connected to the Antichrist, in 2 Thess 2, the Antichrist is called the man of sin or son of perdition. And so this mystery of lawlessness that will, in unprecedented form, pervade the earth during the future one world government, when Antichrist is at the helm of it anyway, that spirit's already at play. That, that mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Indeed, the Bible tells us that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. And they will do so because they have given heed to deceiving spirits, demons, and doctrines of demons. So deception is a big part of uh, Satan's agenda. In fact, it is the key core component of Satan's agenda. Remember, Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning. And when he speaks, he speaks from his own resources. And everything he says is a lie. So this whole uh, study of Spirit of the Antichrist is subtitled, The Gathering Cloud of Deception. And I hope by now, if you've been with us throughout the whole series, uh, you have uh, come upon many things, many subjects that are new to you that you have, like I have been in so many times, deceived about, unaware of uh, what was really happening. We hear one story, the official narrative, and we find out that something else far more sinister is really at work. And so this is the work of Satan. He's seeking to deceive the world. Ultimately, he wants to deceive the world when it comes to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us the devil is blinding men's hearts to the gospel. And the reason we're still here, even though it seems like this battle between God and Satan is reaching climactic levels, the reason we're still here is because God still has a job for us to do. God is not ready to kick it into the final phase of his plan of the ages that started with the Garden of Eden and everything created in perfection, went through the fall and corruption, redemption at the cross, and ultimately recreation one day in the new heavens and the new earth. God's not ready to shift into that phase yet because he's not willing that any should perish, but that everybody come to the understanding that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is our only hope. And so during this time, Satan is blinding men's hearts to the gospel, and he is deceiving the world. And we read in the book of Revelation, as we've talked about in the past, that Satan will deceive the whole world through the, the, the uh, message of the Antichrist and his uh, false prophet that is working with him. Indeed, perilous times will come in the last days. So we're looking at these seven manifestations of the spirit of the Antichrist, which of course are seven biblical characteristics of the future world leader, the tyrant, the man of sin, indwelt by Satan, the prince of demons himself, the man called the Antichrist. Some of these that we've already looked at include pretense, phenomena, pride, power, persecution, which we finished up with last time. And today we come to the spirit of perversion, the spirit of perversion. 
Another key aspect of the Antichrist's reign that we see in Scripture will be the utter depravity and perversion that will characterize both him, his false prophet, and the world at large during that final seven-year period leading up to Christ's return. And if that is one of his primary characteristics, utter depravity, debauchery, and perversion, it follows then, according to Scripture, since the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work, that we will see an uptick in perversion uh, in our day. Now, we could come at this from a number of different angles. We could come at it without even talking about the Antichrist, just in terms of the doctrine of depravity, the teaching that the Bible says the, you know, things will get worse and worse in 2 Timothy 3.13. So it's no surprise that sin is reaching unprecedented levels. You know, a lot of times people will say to me, well, you know, sin's always been around. There's nothing new under the sun. Well, that's true in the sense of the presence of sin and even perhaps the types of sin. I mean, perversion was nothing new. That goes all the way back to the early days of creation. But what we do see happening, and this is, again, according to biblical prophecy, and especially according to end times prophecy related to the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist, what we do see happening is an uptick in an intensifying and a more manifestation, a, a shamelessness, an in-your-face essence to perversion and sin. So let's dive in and first look at a key passage that we've looked at a lot that relates to the prophecy about the Antichrist. It comes from Daniel chapter 11. Speaking of this future world leader, Daniel tells us, He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. Now let's stop there. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. And then he's going to tell something else he's not going to regard, as you can see it on the screen if you're watching this. But let's just stop there and talk about the God of of his fathers. In the New King James, which is what I'm uh, putting up on the screen here and what I study from, God is capitalized there. I don't think that's the best translation, and most biblical scholars uh, agree, although there are some good biblical scholars who still see this as a reference to Yahweh, the God of creation, the one true God, and that's the reason it is capitalized. But the actual Hebrew word is Elohim, which can refer to the one true God, capital G. But more often, it's simply a plural form of God's little g. And so I think that's the, what it's talking about here. Uh, he will not have any regard for all of the gods that his fathers worshipped. I do not think, based on a comparison of Scripture of Scripture, that the Antichrist is going to be Jewish or is going to have ever at any point worshipped the one true God. He's always been opposed to to God because Satan is opposed to God. And as we've talked about, in any and every age, Satan has had his man of the hour, his human being with a beating heart, the one who will become the world leader, standing by and ready because Satan does not know when God's end times plan is going to kick in. And so if the rapture were to happen in our day, starting the clock ticking on God's end times prophetic plan, the Antichrist would be alive today and Satan would mark him out and he would become the man who fulfills the prophecy of the Antichrist. But this has been true in every age and certainly Daniel, some 500 years, 400 years before Christ, uh, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, understood this. And so I think we're not dealing with someone here who is a someone who used to follow God and rejected God. I think we're dealing with someone here who rejected all gods, all religions, and that is what we're going to get into in our final session in this study uh, when we talk about the spirit of pluralism. 
that uh, we're going to see the, the future Antichrist is going to uh, gather together all people in the world to worship in a one-world religious system. And in order to do that, he's going to have to be a pluralist. He's not going to get everybody to convert to Islam or to convert to you know, false Judaism or apostate Christianity or Buddhism or Hindu or Roman Catholicism. He's going to basically cast a broad net, a huge tent, and say, it doesn't matter who your God is. You, know, you say Allah, I say Yahweh. We're all the same. Come right on in and worship whatever God that you want. And so I think uh, this first characteristic I just wanted to clarify, since God is capitalized there, it's actually not capitalized in Hebrew. It's the word Elohim, and it just means uh, gods. But notice the next thing for our purposes in uh, today's study. He, neither will he regard women. He will have no desire for women. Now, again, there's some disagreement on this. It's a bit uh, uh, interesting the way this is worded, uh, you know, uh, some people, again, trying to see that the Antichrist is Jewish and insisting that he's Jewish suggests that Jewish women all had a des one desire, which was to be the woman who carried the Christ child, the long-awaited Messiah, the, the Messianic hope, and that was their desire. But I think that's really reading a lot into this verse and the word desire there. I take it at face value, and the way most commentators take it is that if you don't have the desire of women and you're a men, man, you are a homosexual. You're homosexual. And really, when you look at Scripture as a whole, and you go all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah, and all the way through the biblical plan of the ages as contained in the words of Scripture, you find that this sexual sin of perversion is actually tantamount. It is serious. I mean, we could go to Romans chapter 1, for example, where Paul says this plainly. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, the physical body of man, more than the creator, who he adds is blessed forever. Amen. So this sin of homosexuality, which we're going to be talking a lot about. It's not the only aspect of the spirit of perversion, but it's a big one. Uh, really is predicated upon believing a lie. Notice what he says. These people who have twisted the natural order of things on their head and become perverse have exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And that's the reason that even secular experts are asking questions like this one from the cover of Time magazine. Is truth dead. I mean, really, the minute you begin to say black is white, red is blue, wrong is right, uh, A is B, you begin to actually turn truth on its head, turn facts on their heads, then it, it undermines the very existence of truth. Now, we don't believe truth is dead because we believe God's Word is truth. God's Word is truth. Sanctify us through your Word, Jesus said in, in John 17. So we believe there is truth. Ecclesiastes, or rather Proverbs says that we can know the certainty of the words of truth if we know the word of God. So God's word is uh, the infallible, inerrant word of truth. It is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And it is, in fact, the way we understand how to be saved from the penalty of sin, how we sinful mankind can be forgiven of our sin and receive eternal life. And that is by grace 
through faith. God's grace was poured out upon mankind when he paid our penalty at the cross through his son who died in our place at Calvary, rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and offers freely to all the gift of eternal life. So God's word, the truth, is a really a rescue manual. And the minute you attack truth, you attack actually the very essence of how any mankind on earth can hope to be rescued from sin's penalty. Because after all, we are all sinners sold under sin. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, there's not a righteous person on earth who does what is right and never sins. Paul tells us in Romans 5, we are, wherefore by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death by sin, uh, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We're all born in sin. David said, in sin my mother conceived me. The minute the egg met the sperm, the result in conception is a sinful, fallen human being. It's a disease of sin that is cast down through the blood, and that's the reason the only hope we have to get forgiveness of sins is not to try harder, do better, work harder, pull ourselves up by our brute straps and, and just do a bunch of good works. We can never be good enough to change the condition of our heart. We have to have a heart transplant, as it were. We have to be born again by faith in the one perfect human being, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. So back to Romans chapter 1. Uh, because they exchanged the truth of God for the lie... Uh, Paul goes on to tell us, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. I mean, notice how strong the language is here. Anybody who says that you know, Christianity is compatible with the perversion and depravity of homosexuality is reading a different Bible or has decided to toss the Bible out the window. I recall uh, talking one time years ago, this was probably... Uh, 28, 27 years ago, uh, as a young man in, in pastoral ministry, I'd only been in ministry, say, five or ten years, and, and I was talking to a, a regional pastor that was kind of uh, overseeing the churches and the denomination I was in at the time, and he was very pro-homosexual, very pro-abortion, basically a liberal who denied the Word of God, and I asked him about it one time. I said, how can you support homosexuality given what the Bible says, for example, in Romans 1? And you know what his answer was? He said, well, that's just Paul. Paul was a radical. We don't need to listen to Paul. And in that way, he had just sort of ripped out 13 books of the New Testament and tossed them aside. And that's what you have to do if you want to defend and support homosexuality. You cannot believe the Bible is the Word of God and support perverse homosexuality and other sexual sins at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. They are vile passions. And notice how Paul goes on to describe it. Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. I mean, this is, it doesn't take a rocket science to look at the biology of a human body and recognize there's a difference and it only fits one way. It was only meant to be one way. And yet we've become, as we're going to see today, so uh, showered and, and bombarded with pro-perverse propaganda that even many Christians have begun to wink and nod at what I am suggesting, because I believe the Bible suggests it, is one of the most egregious attacks on the, the glory of God and the image of God in man, and that is sexual perversion. He goes on in verse 27, Romans 1, 27, likewise also the men, the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. 
See, God's word is not ambiguous, not in the least. Homosexual activity is shameful. It's an abomination to a holy God. It's not the way God made us. And yet, what used to be done in secret or only in the most extreme cases flaunted and flouted is now mainstream, as we shall see. Uh, Paul goes on to say in Romans 1.28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, again, you have to push God out to make room for a pro-homosexual agenda. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. I mean, how many different ways can God's Word say it? It is unnatural. It is shameful. It is debased. It is not fitting. He goes on to say, Knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do they do them, but they also approve of those who practice them. Boy, that last verse there in Romans that I want to look at really is something you need to, to focus in on. You ought to underline this, make a note of it, because those Christians who defend, excuse, or otherwise support homosexual, bisexual, transgender, or any other perversion of God's natural order are as guilty as those who do them themselves. That's not me saying that. That's the very Word of God saying that. Those people who do it are deserving of strict judgment because they approve of those who practice them. Back to 1 John chapter 2, which we've spent a lot of time in in this study of the Antichrist. It's in that context where we read, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. He uses that word lust twice there. What is the word lust? It's the word epithemia. It's used 19 times in the New Testament. And it means evil desire, lust, or craving. It's the same word that we saw in Romans 1 a moment ago when Paul said God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart. Evil desire, evil craving. In Romans chapter 6, Paul talking to believers here very plainly says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. So again, this idea that somehow homosexual behavior is God-given, God made me that way, and therefore it's okay, is completely contrary to the Word of God that calls it sin reigning in your mortal body. When you give in to this ungodly, evil desire or craving, which the Bible calls lust, epithemia, you are letting sin reign in your mortal body. Sin is the opposite of what's okay with God. So again, the only way anyone can claim that homosexual behavior is okay is if they have completely rejected the biblical narrative. They do not believe the Bible. And yet, there are entire churches, not only across America, but throughout the world, people that go to church every Sunday or multiple times a week, claim to be religious, and have embraced homosexuality, may even have a homosexual pastor may even perform homosexual weddings in their church. And that is what the Bible calls the apostate church. The apostate church. I'm not saying 
these people who do these things or support these things or may be a part of such a denomination are automatically hell-bound, that they don't know the Lord. It is possible for even believers who have at one point in their life trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone as the only hope of salvation. They've been born again. They are, in fact, Christians. It's possible even Christians to get deceived and led astray and, and get caught up in even egregious sins. Hear me clearly on this. There is no sin that an unbeliever can commit that a believer cannot also commit if he's walking in the flesh and catering to the flesh and being deceived in the lust of his heart. But that doesn't mean it's okay to do that. It is dead wrong. It is an abomination. And Paul says, don't let this kind of sin reign in your mortal body because it's simply fulfilling this evil desire or craving within you. So it is an apost- only an apostate church, which is what is going to exist in the tribulation period after the rapture, It already exists today. Paul makes that very clear in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. But only an apostate church can claim that homosexuality is okay. And if you're listening to the sound of my voice and you know people that are living in homosexual sin or you have in the past dealt with this or maybe you're struggling with it right now, you need to know that the unambiguous universal decree of God's Word, the Bible, is that that is wrong. That is wrong. And there's help. There's help for you. Uh, But don't ever buy the lie that it's okay. That it's okay. Later on in Romans, Paul uses that word epithemia again, lust, when he says to believers, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. What? To fulfill its lusts. See, the entire walk of the Christian is to walk in the new man, not the old man. We understand the old man was sold under sin. But we also understand that as a new man or woman in Christ who is, in whom the Holy Spirit dwells and has taken up residence and is our seal until the day of redemption when we get to heaven, uh, that we are not to walk in that old man any longer. We are a child of the King and we are to live like it. We are, as Paul says in Ephesians, to put off concerning our former conduct that old man, which what? Grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Epithemia, again. If you cater to those lusts, guess what? you're going to end up drifting further and further and further and further away from God. Peter put it this way, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. See, we're supposed to be different. The the heart of man is desperately wicked. And again, there's no sin that a believer can commit, I mean that an unbeliever can commit, that a believer cannot also commit. I mean, there but by the grace of God go I. You wallow around in pornography or evil company corrupts good morals or you live in a sinful, surrounded by sinful influences. There's no telling how far away you can drift from the Lord. A child of God can sin. We don't become perfect the moment we become a child of God by faith. But we are not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be sojourners and pilgrims. And we are, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11, to abstain from these fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The soul there is life, our whole being, not just the immaterial aspect that goes to heaven, but our whole life. And they do. I mean, when you get involved in sexual sin, by its very nature, it affects the body. That's how diseases get transmitted. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for your mental capacity. It's not helpful for your psyche. It's not helpful emotionally or physically or in any other way. And then as we uh, read on in 2 Peter chapter 2, he talks a lot about this idea of uncleanness and the flesh and, 
lusting. Uh, let me set the context for you. We're going to look at 2 Peter 2, 9, and 10 in a moment on the screen. You see the beginning of that there on the screen right now. But let me just set the context and read the, the preceding verses. Notice what Peter says. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness. What's he talking about there? He's talking about those angels who fell with Satan and those angels who absolutely left their proper domain and in a sexual way, because remember, angels and demons alike can take on human form. We read about this in the Old Testament. Remember, uh, the angels were visiting uh, Lot and the homosexual men uh, from uh, Sodom were wanting to have them. They, they were attracted to them. So we know they had taken on physical form. Uh, and so these angels that he's referring to were involved in sexual sin. And he says he, he did not... Uh, spare them, but delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one out of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live godly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. <laughs> I mean, Again, nobody can read the Bible and come away thinking that homosexuality is okay. It was filthy conduct of the wicked, the Bible says. Um, and he says, For that righteous man dwelling among them, talking about Lot, tormented his righteous soul day to day by seeing and hearing this lawless deeds. And then coming right out of that, he says what you see on the screen here, Then the Lord, in other words, if God will judge the unrighteous and rescue the righteous, then the Lord also knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. There it is again, epithemia. So I'm making the case here as we go through these passages that sexual sin is of utmost seriousness. It is really the epitome of an attack on the image of God in man. It is utter depravity. And it is going to characterize the Antichrist someday. And consequently, since the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work today, it is going to be pervasive in the lead up to the end times. And that's exactly what we see. I mean, I don't even have to finish this message, and you already know that, but I'm going to give you several examples uh, from uh, mainstream uh, media today of that. Notice how these people also despise authority. It's complete lawlessness. You know, don't tell me how to live. I can do whatever I want. You know, my body, my choice. It's all about me. It's this narcissistic, prideful thing that also characterizes the Antichrist, as we talk about, talked about. They despise authority. My body, I can do whatever I want. I can kill human beings that are in my body. I can live in a sexual way that is a contrary to nature and that is utter and complete wickedness and filth and, and an abomination to God. But of course, when it comes to vaccinations, uh, then it's no longer my body, my choice. The government can strap you down at, under threat of military and stick a needle in your arm. And we talked about that back in session uh, eight. But he goes on to say, the, those who act this way are presumptuous, self-willed. This is 2 Peter 2.10. And they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. That word dignitaries is a little misleading in English. It's a Greek word that literally refers to glorious ones. In other words, godly leaders and other Christians who are standing up and speaking out against sin and are reflecting God's glory. 
That's the dignitaries he's talking about. They're not in a civil or governmental sense, but these people will actually talk down, criticize, hurl insults at, ridicule, mock, disparage any believer, such as myself and those listening to me that believe homosexuality is wrong, when we speak out against it. I have no doubt that that this particular message will probably get a lot of pushback as uh, people out there uh, hear me saying what I'm saying based on the authority of God's Word. And people are going to say, oh, you're unloving, you're unkind, you're hateful. Listen, I'm not, I don't hate anybody. I'm just preaching the Word of God. And the Word of God could not be more clear. Again, you have to literally divorce yourself from the Bible. You cannot in any way claim to have any connection to this book if you support homosexual perversion uh, because it, it, it is that clear. This is not something that's ambiguous. Uh, Peter, in his second letter, goes on to say in chapter 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last day, walking according to their own lusts. Again, epithemia. And I'm uh, making the case here that often the lust that's talked about in Scripture isn't just a generic term for desires to do what is sinful. I think it has particular attention to sexual perversion. Jude echoes the words of Peter when he says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust, epithemia. And who are these people that are walking according to their own ungodly lust? He says in the very next sentence, These are sensual persons. Sensual persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. In this case, he's talking about unbelieving homosexuals. Well, if we go back to the t- teaching on the Antichrist, we see, for example, in Revelation thirteen six that he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name. In what way will the future Antichrist blaspheme God and blaspheme his name? Well, in every way, of course, but especially through his promotion of sexual perversion. Tapping into that evil lust, evil craving, evil desire. The spirit of perversion cuts right to the heart of the image of God in man. As I said earlier, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, and male and female, he created them. Remember what we said earlier, perversion means to exchange the natural use for what is against nature, Paul said. And so when God created man in his own image and created them male and female, that is the very essence of the highest pinnacle of creation. We are, human beings, the crown jewel of creation. And when Satan comes in and convinces people to tweak that, to distort that with all of this transgender, gender neutrality, homosexuality, all LGBTQ, all of it, Uh, That is absolutely exchanging what is natural for what is against natural. And so, again, back to Daniel, uh, we know that the Antichrist will be characterized by this level, or you might say depths, of perversion, because he will have no regard for the desire of women. Some even speculate that he will be abusive toward women. So, 
If you look at the end of the story, if you look at the end of the Bible in Genesis chapter 22, we find out that when all is said and done and the new heavens and new earth are in place and all of the unbelievers who failed to receive the free gift of eternal life and therefore will have no one to blame but themselves. See, the universal call of the gospel goes out to all the world. Whosoever will may come. In fact, the Bible ends in Revelation 22 with the statement, whosoever will, let him come drink freely of the water of life. Uh, so the offer is, is open wide. If Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men to him. Anyone who wants to can come. Now, he won't drag you. If you refuse to receive the gift, he's not going to force it upon you. God does not force anyone to be saved any more than he forced anyone to sin. We sinned of our own free choice, and he's made the remedy available for our own predicament readily available at our own free uh, choice. But those who don't receive that gift are the unjust. That is, they are the unredeemed, the unjustified. They've not been declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. So the Bible calls them unjust. We're talking here about the unsaved people. And he says, he was unjust. Let him be unjust still. You know, let him be unjust still. So there's going to come a judgment. Uh, this is from the Not By Works chart book. Um, uh, our chart on eschatological judgments. That chart book has well over a hundred in the print form, has well over a hundred of our top most requested uh, charts. It's also available in digital format on a thumb drive. You can uh, check that out at the Not By Work store. But notice the final judgment here in these list of future judgments that have yet to happen. You know, we see the judgment of Christ, the judgment of the Antichrist and the false prophet, the sheep and the goats judgment, the final judgment of Satan, and notice the great white throne judgment. And that's for all unbelievers of all ages who will be cast into the eternal punishment of the lake of fire. And then if you go back to chapter 22 of Revelation, we find out that that group includes those who were what? Sexually immoral. Doesn't mean they're cast into hell because of their sexual immorality. They're cast into hell because they never believed the gospel. I encourage you to check out our new book that came out earlier this year called Top Ten Reasons Some People Go to Hell. And the one reason no one ever has to. The ultimate reason is unbelief. Jesus said, if you don't believe I am who I say I am, you're going to die in your sin. And your sin has a steep penalty of eternal torment in a literal place called hell. But the overarching reason is unbelief. And there are many reasons that people choose not to believe the gospel. Many influences that blind them to the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4.4. And that book deals with 10 of them, top 10 reasons some people go to hell. But So this is not saying that there's a cause and effect here. If you do this sin, you go to hell. We're all sinners. The sin of pride or the sin of covetousness or the sin of anger is just as offensive in the sense of separating us from a holy God as the sin of homosexuality. Okay. Now, there are di different punishments for sin, different consequences of sin in that sense, but it's not like we can just walk through life and do the, little quote, little sins or the hidden sins, and God says, okay, come right on in, but if you commit one of the biggies, he says, forget it, heaven is closed to you. It's not about our works. It's not by works of righteousness, which we do, but according to his mercy, that he saved us. So we're not saved by works and we're not condemned by works. We're condemned because of our failure to believe the gospel and receive by faith the gift of eternal life. So what he's saying here, though, is that those who are unjust, as we looked at a moment ago, that is, they've never been saved, they're unjustified, will include those who are sexually immoral. Many people in hell will have been characterized on their earthly life as sexual perverts, involved in sexual perversion like homosexuality. In fact, I believe the reason that God describes some of those who will be in hell someday this way is because 
nothing arouses the wrath of Almighty God more than these types of things. Sorcerers, he says. Uh, what did we talk about that in, in, back in the part eight of this series? I'm pretty sure it's part eight, the one on vaccines. Sorcerers, those who use drugs to control people through pharmaceuticals. Sexually immoral, that's what we're talking about in this section. What about murderers? Remember, Satan is a murderer from the beginning. And then idolatry. Idolatry is particularly offensive to a holy God. And of course, he who practices a lie, deception, ultimately is uh, offensive to God. So with that background on the spirit of perversion, we will do like we've done every other session and ask, do we see a rise in perversion around the world today? And obviously, you know the answer. And so let me just give you several examples uh, of this. Uh, and again, some of this stuff is pretty disheartening. It's distasteful and it's hard to contemplate. But we need to study the whole counsel of God, which tells us the spirit of Antichrist is at work today. And he wouldn't tell us it's at work today if he didn't want us to be aware of it and uh, point it out. Uh, so, for example, we see throughout mainstream media the glorification of sin and perversion. The, one of the biggest events in the world every year is the Super Bowl. More people tune in to watch that than any other single event throughout uh, the year. And what do we see at halftime? We see these satanic people uh, like uh, you know, Beyonce and Lady Gaga, and we see them performing occult rituals uh, on the stage in very sexually charged and energized ways. And you know, what do we do with something that the Bible has so plainly said is filthy, horrific, an abomination, terrible, unnatural? We glorify it. We glorify it with the most watched TV event annually. And mainstream media is also promoting the gay and lesbian agenda to preschool-age children. Here's Disney Junior Channel, and several of their shows have a, uh, a, a plot line that is advancing the same-sex marriages to preschool-age children. It's a battle for the mind. And by the way, we see this in public schools as well. Um, you know, I've had many people uh, tell me that, you know, Christian people, that who, who have not pulled their kids out of public school, which why you would want to subcontract out the training of your children eight hours a day, five days a week for 12 years to an openly, admittedly pagan institution is beyond me. I, just, I don't understand that philosophically. I can sympathize pragmatically if you don't have any other options, you're a single parent, you have other issues, and it's just, but to defend it and to act like I'm doing this willingly and encouragingly is, again, just I just cannot fathom that. They pulled God out of schools, and you will go to jail if you are a teacher in school and you stand up and preach the gospel. They are teaching evolution. And you say, well, not my school. You know, my school is different. I have a Christian seventh-grade biology teacher. Fine. Ask that biology teacher when's the last time she read the Department of Education agenda for her local school district and the money that they're giving and the rules that associate with that. I understand there are pockets of revival throughout every public compulsory government public schooling, uh, but that doesn't mean that the agenda is not pagan. They've declared in their own terms that it is pagan. So anyway, we're advancing this all over the place, but I've had many Christian parents tell me, you know, oh, my, my you know, sixth grader came home and, and uh, you know, she or he is now contemplating uh, what their uh, uh, gender is. They don't even know what gender they are. And you're going, what? 
but they go to Sunday school. Yeah, they go to Sunday school one hour a week, and they've got 40 hours a week inside a pagan institution. Who do you think is going to win that battle? Here's a 90-second TV ad, just a screenshot of it, by Sprite from Coca-Cola Company promoting the LGBTQ agenda. Here's another children's uh, show, Arthur. Oh, it's just a cute little show for toddlers, right? Well, here it is, promoting gay marriage. Uh, make no mistake about it. The perverse LGBTQ agenda is determined to indoctrinate the next generation. They've been doing it for several generations already. And that's the reason we find ourselves in the state we're in today. Their goal is for your children and your grandchildren to accept an abominable lifestyle as a normal lifestyle. Um, by the way, Arthur is designed and targeted to four to eight-year-olds on PBS. <laughs> and uh, here's uh, promoting a gay marriage. Uh, Disney Channel. It's not just the young, young, youngest youngsters. It's the teens and the adolescents as they push the LGBT agenda in their show. Andy Mack, uh, as they have one of their characters, is openly homosexual. And then, of course, we all know about Ellen DeGenerate. And I don't say that uh, to be personally attacking. It's a fact. Her lifestyle that she has chosen to live is degenerate. And, uh, and there's just no shame anymore. Back to public schooling, you don't think they're pushing this agenda? Uh, just do the slightest bit of research. For example, in North Carolina, teachers in this particular school district were told not to call students boys and girls anymore. Uh, you're supposed to call them, I guess, purple unicorns or, or something else. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, and here's another one. In this school, they were said they should call kids purple penguins because boys and girls is not inclusive to transgender. Uh, they actually promoted this uh, whole paradigm, this whole indoctrination in many school districts across the country. It's called the gingerbread person, a play on the gingerbread tale in which they have this handout and they're supposed to go over it with their children. Uh, I mean, this is, this is diabolical, literally devilish. <laughs> Uh, and they're supposed to ask children, when it comes to your identity, do you identify more with womanness or manness? Uh, I mean, you can see the little diagram there of what looks like a gingerbread person. When you're in your expression, are you outwardly more feminine or masculine? When it comes to your biological sex, are you femaleness or maleness? I didn't know there was any wiggle room there. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like it is or it isn't. You are or you aren't. You're one or the other. And then they even are talking here about sexual attraction. Who are you more sexually attracted to? Men, males, or masculinity. Might not be a biological male, but it might be someone who's, you know, of the same gender, but has a particular masculinity or feminine. And then you've got romantically. Who are you romantically attracted to? Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is just stuff that's really, if you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't believe it. So many of you are listening to this or watching this and you're thinking, this can't be. It can be. It is. And it's been this way for decades. You know. And then you know, as I travel around the country more and more, I see signs like these, gender neutral uh, bathrooms. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, and I've, I've experienced it before. I remember one time meeting at the O'Hare Airport in a, uh, a men's restroom. It wasn't a gender neutral restroom. I would never... Uh, use a gender-neutral restroom. I'd 
rather wait several hours if, if that was my only choice. But in the men's restroom, in walks a, a lady. I mean, at least it seemed like a lady. It was either a lady or someone who wanted to be a lady. And, uh, you know, I looked at her in the eyes and they looked back like, so what? I, I identify as a male. I can come into any restroom I want. So this whole, what I call the gender surrender movement, the gender surrender movement is, is uh, pervasive everywhere we go. Now, you, those of you that are still sort of inclined toward a right-left paradigm in the political arena, and you think, well, I'm a Republican, Fox News, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson person, so they're certainly not like that. But, you know, I'm not like these, you know, Biden, Harris, you know, CNN, uh, Anderson Cooper people. You need to understand that they're both on the same team. They're both promoting it. And that's the reason that at in 2016, at the GOP National Convention in prime time, Peter Thiel spoke. Who's Peter Thiel? The co-founder of PayPal and an openly gay man. He attended the 2016 meeting of the Bilderberg Group, which I've talked about that in a previous session under the um, power and control and how they use things like the Council on Foreign Relations, Bilderberg, Bohemian Grove. You should go back and check that out if you haven't watched it. But he was summoned to a Bilderberg group, comes out, and now he's the shining star in prime time when school children who are wanting to learn about the political process are watching the Republican National Convention. And here this guy is celebrated. Uh, Forbes magazine talked about billionaire Peter Thiel says he's proud to be gay during his GOP convention speech. Here's CNN covering it. Proud to be gay and Republican. Uh, even Fox News, of course, covered it, and they did not highlight the fact that he was gay. They just said it's an important moment for the GOP as we seek to gather in as many people we can into our net. Well, listen, I don't know about you. I don't want homosexuals in my net. I want them to come to Jesus. I want them to believe in the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ who died for their sin the same way he died for my sin. I'm no better than they are. We're all sinners in need of a Savior, and they need Jesus. And, of course, Fox News covers it a little bit different. As uh, down the road, uh, sometime after the convention, they're talking about still highlighting him as a reputable, legitimate source who, who we should all look to. Uh, he's warning against socialism. See, I guess for Fox News and those who buy into the Fox News narrative, socialism is a bigger threat than sexual perversion. Let me say that again. For Fox News and those who buy into their narrative, apparently socialism is a bigger threat than sexual perversion. Because if this sexual pervert homosexual can stand up and speak out against socialism, he's going to get plenty of airtime on Fox News. What did he say at the convention? He said this, quote, this is Peter Thiel at the GOP convention, July 21st, 2016 in prime time. Every American has a unique identity, he said. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. Most of all, I'm proud to be an American. Well, what else? We see Planned Parenthood uh, teaching your preschool, telling, saying that you should teach your preschoolers that their genitals don't determine their gender. <laughs> this is from the Planned Parenthood website under a section entitled, How Do I Talk to My Preschooler About Their Body? And the abortuary... Planned Parenthood, who thrives on killing human beings in the womb, 
says, well, if a child inquires uh, why boys and girls have different bodies, a parent should introduce them to the concept of transgender identities and state, quote, your genitals don't make you a boy or a girl. Here's a Forbes magazine, again, one of many mainstream propaganda arms of the Luciferian agenda. How to use gender-neutral language and why it's important to try. We see mainstream movie stars and television stars promoting gender neutrality, binary gender, transgender, or whatever else you want to call it, and ramming it down our throats. The social engineers, the Luciferian agenda that is controlling all of this, go back and look at the session we did on Operation Mockingbird and the mainstream state-run media, uh, they're, they're trying to give it credibility. Um, they're trying to give it credibility. Leading celebrities pushing transgender onto uh, children. Let me give you a few examples. For example, Adele. Uh, man, I love Adele. You hear Christian? I love Adele. She's so great. I love her songs and so forth. Here she's pushing gender-neutral parenting. That's what they're calling it now. She lets her son dress as a Disney princess in, in, in an effort to promote gender-neutral parenting, she calls it. Or what about Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, world superstars? And, of course, they receive all kinds of praise because they allow their daughter to dress and act like a boy and to explore gender identity. Or what about this one? Megan Fox is being lauded for allowing her son to wear a snow white dress. Look at that. Yes, that's a boy. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? But that's the world we live in with the spirit of perversion. Here's another Megan Fox. This time she's letting her son don an, an Elsa frozen dress. The spirit of perversion. Uh, son of superstar Will Smith, Jaden Smith, uh, supposedly hopes that his gender fluidity will help pave the way for others to wear whatever they want. The 21-year-old superstar, uh, Jay, or star Jaden Smith, son of superstar Will Smith, started wearing dresses in 2015 at the age of 16. And he was recently named the new face of Louis Vuitton's women's wear campaign. Look at that. Wow. Isn't that cute? Aren't you proud? <laughs> That's Jaden Smith. What about uh, Toby, Toby Maguire and his ex-wife made headlines uh, when they took their son Otis out for an outing dressed in a girl's skirt. Hooray for Hollywood. Isn't this fantastic? And then you've got the Australian model, enormously popular. Uh, I'm going to probably butcher the name here, but I believe it's Andrej Pajik. Uh, but it's uh, the Australian model you see on the screen there. Androgynous. In fact, she or he, I honestly can't tell anymore, worked both the male and female runways at the Paris, Paris fashion shows. Uh, not long ago. And then you've got CoverGirl announcing its first cover boy, <laughs> who, by the way, is a 17-year-old high school senior, or was at the time he took on this role. And even mainstream stores like J. Crew in their magazine several years ago showed a picture of a mom promoting it transgenderism and painting her little boy's toenails pink. So the question that NPR asks, is this the end of gender? They ask it because they hope it is, because to surrender gender, again, I call this the gender surrender movement, 
is, is an attack on the very image of God and man. And it's an attack on God himself, our creator. So they're asking it because they hope it is. But it's the question we all should be contemplating. Is this the end of gender? In Muskegon, Michigan, officials at Mona Shores High School declared this year's prom court would be gender neutral. No kings and no queens. <laughs> and that's happening all across the country now. That was several years ago. Uh, universities like Stanford University, University of Michigan, Rutgers University, and many, many, many others now offer gender-neutral student housing on campus. This is not just co-ed dorms. That's bad enough. You know, let's put a bunch of teenagers at the peak of their you know, of puberty, basically, and adolescence, put, cram them into a room together. It's not enough that they're locked in a room together for eight hours a day, five days a week for 12 years. Let's now give them a little bit of freedom, take them out of the home where they have virtually no rules, and lock them in a room together and wonder why teenage pregnancy and abortion and all those things are on the rise. The State Department has begun using gender-neutral language on U.S. passports, replacing father and mother with parent one and parent two. Even Webster's Dictionary has now added a second meaning under the noun gender, which is the behavioral, cultural, or psychological traits typically associated with one sex. No, it's not. Gender means your biological sex. Many states, such as Massachusetts, have now on their driver's license application or ID card application added a different um, option for gender, a non-binary option, male, female, or X. In Massachusetts, three lesbian women, quote, married each other and claimed to be the world's first thruple. Thruple, for those of you listening to the podcast, that's T-H-R-O-U-P-L-E, a play on the word couple, but it involves three people. And thruple, by the way, is now in the dictionary too. Just look up dictionary.com. We're literally changing the course of life as we know it. And it's happening at warp speed before our very eyes. Of course, many of you know about Facebook's famous uh, declaration that they're going to come up with all kinds of options. They now, last I checked, had 58 gender options for Facebook users. It's a drop-down menu and you sign up for Facebook. What's your gender? Man, it takes you three weeks just to read the list of options. I mean, here are some of them. You know, agender, androgyne, androgynous, bigender, non-binary, neither, pangender, transfemale, transfemale with an asterisk. I have no idea what that is. Transmale, transmale with an asterisk. I mean, you, I mean, you can't make some of this stuff up. Gender non-conforming, gender variant. Well, I'll tell you what, it's all pretty variant to me. And then we see in Canada a newborn believed here to be, according to Fox News, to be the first in the world without a gender designation. See, the so-called LGBTQ movement is demonic to the core. And anyone who gives it the slightest credibility or sympathy has given heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Just as 1 Timothy 4.1 tells us. I've looked at that quite often. The spirit of perversion. And it's everywhere. And it's not just about the homosexual, transgendered, LBGTQ movement. We see it within the child sex trafficking problem that has really gotten a lot of attention lately. It's been simmering beneath the dark cesspool of Washington, D.C. for decades. In fact, uh, I highly recommend you look into the Franklin cover-up 
uh, written by John W. DeCamp. He's the one that sort of exposed it. And uh, Nick Bryant has written a more recent uh, treatment of this whole uh, scandal. But uh, John DeCamp was a Republican politician and lawyer from the state of Nebraska who served in the Nebraska state legislature from 71 to 87. He was also an attorney. And uh, both of these books recount the horrifying tale of an alleged child sexual abuse ring involving a number of prominent politicians that rise all the way to the highest levels of Washington, D.C. It's called the Franklin cover-up because it was first stumbled upon and exposed during an investigation in 1989 of the Franklin Savings and Loan, actually 1988, excuse me, Franklin Savings and Loan in Lincoln, Nebraska. And what started as a financial scandal soon unraveled into a hideous tale of child abuse, Satanism, drugs, and murder. And by 1990, John DeCamp had gone down a sickening rabbit hole and exposed sexual perversion again at the highest levels of government. From the back of Nick Bryant's book, we read this. Are politicians, businessmen, and media personalities being compromised? Is there a covert check and balance system affecting our body politic? How and why does a nationwide child abuse network stay hidden? It was such a huge scandal that eventually the Discovery Channel produced a documentary about it called The Conspiracy of Silence. It was scheduled to air on the Discovery Channel, Tuesday, May 3rd, 1994. And it was listed nationwide in the April 30th to May 6th edition of TV Guide magazine. And yet, the night before it was to air, influential members of Congress applied pressure and kept it from airing. And Discovery Channel was reimbursed from a black slush fund for nearly half a million dollars of production costs. And the documentary was destroyed, but it eventually, hidden copies leaked out, and it is now available. And it's about a child sexual abuse ring involving a number of prominent politicians and businessmen, all going back to the Franklin scandal. About the same time the Franklin scandal was breaking, uh, other scandalous news of sexual perversion was also breaking. This hit the Washington Times on June 29, 1980, on the cover Homosexual Prostitution Inquiry Ensnares VIPs Reagan and Bush. And they have smoking gun evidence that this guy, uh, uh, Craig Spence, was bringing in male young prostitutes into the White House. Uh, after he was arrested, he explained that it was a then CIA member who gave him a key to the White House, and he refused to give the name of that CIA agent. But he said this, this, very interesting, quote, all this stuff you've uncovered involving the cowboys and bribery and the White House tours, he said, all this stuff, to be honest with you, is insignificant compared to other things I've done and been asked to do. But I'm not going to tell you those things. Somehow the world will carry on, he said. Of course, the Franklin scandal is by no means the only child sex abuse scandal to rock Washington D.C. About every few years, we see leading uh, politicians on both sides of the aisle outed, uh, not because D.C. believes has a moral compass that compels them to out them, but because they made somebody mad and so they chose to expose them. They're all doing it, just about. Uh, and of course, uh, in recent years, we saw the Pizzagate scandal with John Podesta, 
And if you don't think, because the mainstream media has tried to convince us this was all some false conspiracy theory. Oh, it was a conspiracy to be sure, but it was not false. It was absolutely factual. As the documentary Out of Shadows demonstrates, highly recommend this documentary. You just go to outofshadows.org. It's been banned from all mainstream platforms, but you can uh, get it. If you uh, don't, can't get it, you should be able to get it from their own website. Extremely well done. High quality production exposing the seedy, horrific underworld that is Hollywood and Washington, D.C. and the interconnectedness now, connectedness of them as it relates to Satanism, Satanic ritual abuse, and child sex abuse. And if you can't get a hold of it, email me because I've got uh, a copy of the documentary. So, uh, and then of course, who can forget Epstein Island? And, and you really want to blow your mind do some research on, you can see the actual, you know, photocopies of all the flight manifests. It's all now in the public domain from Freedom of Information Act requests and others that have leaked it out. So you can actually see the flight manifest from years and years of flights that uh, literal who's who of politicians and world leaders and business leaders took to the island. You want to eye-opener, see who is on there. It's, it's the usual suspects, but it's a lot of people you'd be shocked to find out were participating in this. Hollywood, uh, Stanley Kubrick's last film that he did. In fact, he died just before it opened. It was completed and done and ready to open, and he died in, I believe it was 1999. But his film, Eyes Wide Shut, starring Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, is an in-plain-sight tale of Hollywood underworld satanic ritual abuse. It is literally snatched from the headlines. And, you know, given Kubrick's unmatched attention to detail and the basis and reality that underlies this film, it's not surprising that to this day, the film's production at 400 days still holds the Guinness World Record for the longest continuous film shoot in history. Now, I do not recommend you watch this film, um, but it is, I've actually heard interviews of some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. I've actually uh, heard Nicole Kidman interviewed. And she talks about the stuff that went on in that movie was actually something she grew up in in Hollywood. Her parents were Hollywood elites and that she experienced firsthand in reality. It is true to life. And then, of course, who can forget Adam Levine, everybody's favorite voice judge on The Voice. Oh, he's so nice. He's so sweet. I love him on The Voice. Uh, but wait, have you seen Adam Levine bathing in animal blood in his music video for the song Animals? in a, again, satanic ritual abuse, bathing in animal blood. And then, of course, uh, I highly recommend the new documentary by Josh Peck. It's an award-winning documentary called Silent Cry, The Darker Side of Trafficking. You say, wow, the darker side? I mean, what could be darker than trafficking to begin with? Well, it's because he exposes the organized satanic effort to use children in demonic rituals, including child sacrifice. And Josh Peck, a recognized authority and expert on the problem of uh, sex trafficking in the world, not just America, states, I've heard him interviewed, and he stated, in the United States, 500,000 children are involved in sex trafficking every day. You say, no way. That's absolutely impossible. Well, here's what that means. It's not saying that every day 500,000 children are abducted. It's saying that on any given day, at any given time, there are 500,000 children involved in one way or another in the whole child sex trafficking agenda, the dark underworld. And worldwide, that number is 22 million children. 
Is the spirit of perversion alive and well and seeing an uptick? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know this uh, presentation has been a little bit longer than other ones, but I'm not quite through yet, but I just didn't have the stomach to split it up into two. I kind of had to gear up and get mentally steeled uh, to be able to present this information. And before I close, I want to uh, talk about one other thing here from God's Word uh, that I think is pretty significant. And I've not heard anyone else talk about this, but if you go back to the end times chart, and I looked at this last week and we've got it in our, uh, you know, uh, chart book, but you see the trumpet judgment there at the bottom of the screen. And uh, then you see the description of them. Let me go back here for just a second on that one. Uh, you notice God's going to pour out his wrath through seven seals, then seven trumpets, then seven judgments. I don't have time uh, to make this case expositorily uh, like I've done in the past. But I did want to focus in on these seal judgments uh, here in Revelation chapter 6. And as I talked about before, the fourth one involves the death of one quarter of the world's population. Well, let's take a look at how that happens. We get this from Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. So I looked and behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed behind him. I think that's interesting. Just a metaphorical name here for Satan's demons and those that are working under the Antichrist. Remember the first horseman of the apocalypse, the white horse was the Antichrist himself. And so now we're looking at the pale horse. But notice, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth. This is those agents called death and Hades. To kill, notice, with a sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Now, this is what I find interesting. Again, I'm not saying this is absolutely certain, but it does get my attention. Um, you know, Satan, of course, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is a murderer from the beginning, Jesus tells us. And so it follows that part of the reign of terror of the Antichrist is going to involve massive amounts of death. But notice the reference here to death by the beasts of the earth. The word beast is the word therion, therion in Greek. Now it means simply wild animal or monster, or it can mean terribly wicked person. It's used 46 times in the New Testament. 46 times, and only seven of those actually refer to a literal wild animal, like a wolf or some other kind of wild animal. The other 39 times that Therion is used, it's used metaphorically to refer to a, an extremely evil person. For example, in Titus 1.12, Cretans, those from the island of Crete, are referred to as wild beasts. Now, clearly, it doesn't mean they were you know, literal dogs and wolves shape-shifting into human form. No, it's just saying that these human beings were so bad they were called therions, right? 39 times the word is used that way, and of the 39 times that the term therion is used to refer to a human being, 38 of them, all but the one in Titus, 38 of them occur in the book of Revelation. Isn't that interesting? And it's used in the book of Revelation unambiguously to refer to either the Antichrist or the false prophet. Remember, the Antichrist is called the beast. And then later, the, the false prophet is called the beast from the sea and from the earth. And so they're both called the beast. Sixteen of those are found in Revelation 13 alone. So if we go back to Revelation 6, 8, I wonder here if he's meaning something different, that these people are dying at the hands of the Antichrist and his emissaries, his, his uh, administration, the people working under him, including demons. Remember, 
The satanic Luciferian conspiracy involves Satan, demons, and human beings co-conspiring. And I'm just speculating here, given all that we know, or at least now that you've been exposed to uh, and know about the, the satanic ritual abuse, which shouldn't surprise us given we know in the Old Testament there was all kinds of child sexual abuse and sexual rituals and uh, drinking of blood and those kinds of things. Depravity is a degenerative disease. It does not get better. It's not like all of a sudden we've reformed and self-improved and we don't do that stuff anymore. It is still very prevalent. Satan is still the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age. The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. And that stuff still happens. And given that we know that, we know that theologically and we know that from the historical data and you know all the data that we've talked about in this presentation, and of course, entire books have been written on this stuff. Given all of that, is it possible, I'm asking the question, that part of the mechanism of death during the future tribulation by the, quote, beasts of the earth, and we know that the Antichrist and false prophet are referred to as beasts, involves some type of terribly wicked satanic ritual abuse and child sacrifice, and human sacrifices, not just children. Something to think about. The spirit of perversion. Well, the solution to this, like the solution to all of these problems, is to walk in the truth. Remember what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, how did we receive him? By faith. So guess what? If we're going to abide these horrific times and discouraging times with all that's going on in the world today, we're going to have to be men and women of faith. We're going to have to trust God like never before. We're going to have to stay in the Word. We're going to have to be, as Paul says here in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, rooted and built up and established in the faith as we've been taught. We're going to have to go to churches that are preaching the truth, get involved in churches that are preaching the truth, disown the apostate church that is giving, winking and nodding at sin and giving credence to sexual perversion. And instead, we're going to have to be established in the faith. Paul goes on in Colossians 2.8 to say, We should beware, lest anyone cheat you. That word cheat there literally means take you captive. Take you captive. Through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. And not according to Christ. Remember, Satan is a liar. He does not stand in the truth. But we, however as God's children, must stand in the truth. Ephesians 6.14 tells us to stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now, this session on Spirit of the Antichrist, where we discuss spirit of perversion, I know is very difficult to hear, very difficult to watch, uh, but it's the truth. And we need to know the truth because the truth sets us free. And we need to stand in the truth, speak the truth, confidently, unashamedly, loudly, and fearlessly, because these are the great last days of deception. So speak truth. Speak truth. Thanks for watching.